this amazing? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. Don't deserve it. Those chains that we were bound in, we did not deserve to be free, but he did. Now she, she sang that last line, unending love, amazing grace. I was reminded of Romans chapter 8, verse 35, which says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In our human relationships, that will erase love sometimes, won't it? But then we get to verse 37, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will never stop loving you. will never take it away. will never not honor his promise of salvation to all those who put their faith and trust in him and him alone for salvation. So thankful for that today. We're going to be back in Luke chapter 8 this morning. That's going to, this will be your second sermon now. Luke chapter 8. And uh, two weeks ago we finished up chapter 7 in our series, This is Jesus Together. As we finished up... Chapter 7, we saw Jesus invited into the home of a Pharisee named Simon. Jesus was an invited guest, and as he was brought in, Simon didn't wash his feet, as was customary in those times. He didn't anoint his head with oil. He didn't welcome him as the normal practices were. But we found a sinful woman who had a very good understanding who Jesus was, and she sat at his feet, and she washed his feet with her tears. She opened up that alabaster box and poured it on Jesus' feet. And she was so overwhelmed with his love and forgiveness that she was moved to that point of worship. And I know it was a couple weeks ago, but I want to ask you, how are you living in light of what Jesus has done for you? How is, how is your devotion to God this last week? How has how your worship today been? Have you offered him praise? When it comes to the things of God, what has your attitude been like? He's done a lot for us. His love is amazing. Never, we can never be separated from it. How are we living in light of that? Let's all stand together as we begin this next chapter, Luke chapter 8. Jesus left that house and he was there in Galilee here as we begin this chapter. It says, and it came to pass afterward he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit in hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said unto you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. 
Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. Today we're going to be looking at the parable, the sower, the seed, and the soil. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for the privilege it is to be gathered here together this morning in this auditorium. But I thank you, Lord, for, our, for this church. I thank you, Lord, for Lord, where you've planted my family. Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we're looking here in Luke chapter 8, Lord, that you would open our heart and mind to whatever application you have for us through it. God, that we would be a church that, Lord, we'll, we'll scatter some seed, that we will be a church that does, does, does the job that you've called us to do. But God, that we would right now, would have some soil, God, that's ready to receive the word as it's preached. Well, bless us today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As Jesus' ministry went on, more and more people followed him and were curious of what he had to say. And we look here in the beginning of the chapter and there were some women who were introduced to Jesus that had begun to follow him and there was quite the crowd that had developed here. And as we get to verse 4, a crowd had gathered around Jesus as it often did and he turned to them and began to speak a parable to help them. But what, what is a parable? A parable is an analogy or an illustration, a story that Jesus would use often to convey truth or a biblical position that, uh, or biblical principles that needed to be taught. And as a child, I was taught a parable was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Anybody know that definition there? That's how it was taught to me. You know, Jesus would speak these parables and they would begin to see innocently this picture that was painted in front of them, just like we read about the sower and the seed. And at this, as the picture would then be explained and thought upon, it would become this mirror This painting, this picture would then become a mirror when they would see themselves and their life as it was in front of them in application. The truth that was needed to be delivered to them was made clearer and the problems often are resolved from these parables. And just as Jesus gave that parable to those those people that were following him to understand truth and application, he has that same desire for us here in Luke chapter 8 to receive the same truth and help this morning. And as we look at this story together, the first thing we find beginning there in verse 5 is there was a sower. It says there a sower went out to sow his seed. In the parable it was the sower or this, this farmer who was spreading seed into the fields. And a sower would sow seed because it wants to reap a harvest. We have any farmers in here? We got anybody that likes to plant tomatoes or anything like that? A few of you. I don't know how you do it in the caliche, but let me know when you figure that out. But a sower would cast their seed with expectation to have much more come in return. One goal. One goal for this sower is to get his seed into the ground so a harvest can come. And if the sower is to do his job and the sower is going to go out and to have some things come from his job, from the work that he is putting forth, we first of all would know it takes commitment to be a sower, doesn't it? 
He needs to be completely and absolutely dedicated to his work because if he doesn't sow the seed, then no harvest is ever going to come. And when I tell you this morning, as, as Christians, if we do not sow the seed, we cannot expect a harvest in terms of our evangelism. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 16, Jesus' words, he says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is a command not just for me, not just for those called to the ministry. That is a command for every child of God to go and tell others. It's a command for us to go and to preach the gospel to every creature, and we must be willing this morning to go and sow the seed. It takes commitment. Are you committed this morning? Are you burdened for those who are walking around right now without Jesus? As you look at people this morning, as you, you drove here, as you go to work tomorrow, whatever you may be doing, as you see someone understanding their soul is in need of Jesus, as you see them, does, do any emotions come? Does any burden come? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 126, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Are we committed to getting the gospel to those who do not have it? It takes commitment. It also takes determination. I think many of you know this. I was born in Georgia. There in, there in Covington, Georgia. And, and uh, until I was about 12 years old, I had one of the thickest southern accents you've ever heard. Even, even those of you who live in Texas. Lived in the Midwest after that for over 20 years, and my accent is mostly non-existent. Occasionally, a word here or there may creep up. My parents always laughed about this story about my second day of kindergarten. I went, I went for my first day. Everything went great. And after a successful first day, I, I went to bed. And the next morning, my parents went to come wake me up, and I, I didn't get up. They came back in. They said, buddy, it's, it's time to get up. For school, you have to get ready. We're about to leave. And, and I, I said, why? And I, I, I said, I done been, is what I told them. I done been. For the next 13 years, I had to get up every morning for school so I could finally finish. You know, as an adult, we have to get up and go to work. Because if we don't, we can't take care of the family. We can't pay the bills. We can't do the things that we want to do or that we need to do? Do we always feel like it? We done been, right? Do we always feel like it? No. I've, I've never farmed. I've never uh, raised a, a crop, but I, I've worked. I, I would imagine that there's, there were days for the sower when he didn't really feel like going out and sowing the seed, but he had to go anyway. Because he knows if he doesn't get out when it's time to sow the seed, and if he doesn't get out there and, and, and throw them as he should, then the field will never bring harvest. Nothing will ever grow unless he gets up and does what he needs to do, even if he may not feel like it. No matter what we do, no matter what you do, there is seed that needs to be sown. You know, telling people about the gospel is not an easy thing, is it? but it has to be done. Are we determined to do the job? It takes not only determination and commitment, it takes perseverance. You know, in sowing the seed, I have no doubt that discouragement crept, creeps in along the way to that farmer. 
You think about it, he's holding hundreds of seeds in his hand at a time possibly and tossing them out. And as he has hundreds of seeds in his hand, how many of those seeds do you think would actually grow anything? He's saying, I got this bag, I've got this seed I'm carrying around, I got these things I'm tossing, but you know what? Most of them aren't going to do anything. Nothing's going to grow from many of those. But he continued to go and sow the seed. Even though many of those would never take root, as, as we read about, he still sowed the seed because if he didn't, nothing, not a single thing would happen in that field. It is our duty this morning to sow the seed. It's, it's our duty today to just spread the gospel, even understanding that many will not believe. Only a very small percentage will. But it's our duty to go and teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to also tell you this morning, church, growing this church is God's job. He's told us to sow, and we need to trust him to do the rest. You know, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, he said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but who? God gave the increase. As a, as a, as a pastor, as a Christian, I, I do my job of, of passing out tracts and knocking on doors and, and meeting people, but it's, it's, it's not just my job. Our intern this summer, we're thankful for Daniel being here this summer and all the work he's, he's done and the goals of hundreds of doors to be knocked on. And we, we want him to knock those doors, but it, it isn't just his job to knock doors, is it? It's something every single one of us need to be doing. Every Christian is to be a witness of what Jesus did for all the world. There's a story of this missionary to Africa that he, that he told of this elderly woman in his church and she was blind. She couldn't read or write, but she was recently saved, and she wanted to share her faith with others. So she went to the missionary, and she asked him for a, a copy of the Word of God in, in French. And when she got it, she asked the missionary to underline John 3.16 and to put a marker in that page for her. And he's thinking, she can't read. It's, a, it's not in Braille either. How in the world could she do this? And he wanted to see what would happen, so he followed her, and he, he followed this woman just before school let out, she made her way to the front door of the school in the village that they lived in. And as boys came out and as the school was dismissed, she would stand there and, and she would ask a couple of boys over and she would say, can you read French? So they would say yes and she would say, hey, will you read this to me? And they would read John three sixteen out loud to her and then she would say, do you know what this means? And then she would tell them about Jesus. This missionary said that this woman led hundreds of boys to Christ there in front of that school, and I think 24 of those, of those schoolboys went on to pastor churches throughout their country there in Africa. She couldn't do much. She couldn't read. She couldn't see where she was going. But she did what she could. Are you doing what you can? And we see the sower, and then we see the seed. You know, this sower sowed the seed in hopes of growing something good. And we look there in verse 8 and it says the seed, some of the seeds sprang up and produced fruit. In verse 11 of this parable, Jesus explains to us that the seed is the word of God. And when the farmer would walk into this field with his seed bag, he had something that could change the benefits that came from that land. And he would cast those seeds into the wind hoping that 
his goal would be accomplished. And I want to tell you today that 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into this world and he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And as Jesus came and the seed of the gospel was, was thrown out into the winds of this world, he did it with the knowledge that it would accomplish something for him. That lives could be changed. The book of Isaiah says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. We have a promise in the word of God. We have an understanding of the word of God that as God's word is preached, as the seed of the gospel is sown, that his word will not return void. The seed that Jesus gave us can change a life forever. As we look at the seed, we understand, first of all, it holds great power, doesn't it? A little seed can bring life. Without, a, without the seed cast into the ground, the ground is nothing but a bunch of dirt and weeds. No life. It's barren. It's empty. But when the seed falls into good soil and it grows, it brings life to something that before had no life. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2. I know we often look at this verse, but it's good for us to be reminded of it. The gospel brings life. It brought life to my dead heart. It brings life to those who are lost in their sins. And we look in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That sounds pretty miserable, doesn't it? Look at verse 4. But God. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were, we were wicked sinners that could do nothing for ourselves to attain anything righteous or of heaven. But he says, but God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. For those of you that are saved, where death once was, there is life. As a six-year-old boy, I wasn't a wicked sinner out living in the world, but I was a sinner in need of Jesus. And as a six-year-old boy, when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, Jesus brought life to me. If you were saved this morning, at one point you were dead, and then he quickened you. He brought life to you, and when you were without hope, God loved you enough and sent his son to die and pay a debt you could never pay. Anyone who hears the gospel and meets the Savior will be forever changed. We have a man in the Bible named Bartimaeus who was blind. Jesus came and saved him and brought sight. We have a little tax collector named Zacchaeus who was climbing to the top of the sycamore tree so he could see what Jesus was all about. And Jesus called him down and, and, and that man was, was radically saved and his life was changed for Jesus. In the beginning of this chapter, Luke chapter 8, we see some female followers of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, who we know a little bit about in the Bible, was a woman that was once possessed with devils that Jesus came in. She was one way, and then she was something completely different. We see another woman there in, in verse 3 uh, named Susanna and Joanna. 
they became believers and followers of Jesus. The seed that had great power and that it can bring life, excuse me, the seed has great power and can bring life to those who are dead and trespasses and sins. It brings, it has power. It also holds great promise. Is that sower has that seed? Every seed that is cast has the potential to produce a lot of fruit. We look at verse 8, and other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit in hundredfold. Look at verse 15. But that on the good ground are they which in honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. The seed that was sown brought fruit in hundredfold of what that seed of it originally was. Those of you that have grown plants have seen this principle in action, haven't you? One bean seed can bring many beans. And each pod of that, of, of that plant contains many other seeds that can be cast. So one, one squash seed can, can produce a plant that brings many fully grown squash. Plant one seed of corn and watch it produce a stalk of corn that produces hundreds of seeds to be further planted. A jalapeno seed can produce many jalapenos. Each seed has the potential to produce itself many times over, doesn't it? There's always the promise of more. When a seed is sown into ready soil, it can germinate and reproduce itself over and over again. A small thing that can produce a lot. Back in the 1960s, there were two young families living outside of Indianapolis. One family is, you know, married for just several, several years at that point, and they had a little girl in their house, and somebody knocked on the door and asked if that little girl could ride the church bus to church the next Sunday, and they agreed. That little girl was saved, and eventually, after a while of getting to know the family, that family got in church, became faithful members. There's another family in Indiana who were saved, they were raised in church, but they had started a life on their own. They were no longer really going to church. They were somewhat unsure about their part of living for God and, and their, their faith in the word of God. And two men knocked on their door, sat down with them and shared, shared the word of God with them, invited them to church, and they became faithful and raised their family in church. Those two families had children, one a son, one a daughter, that met each other in a church youth group, and after a while they fell in love and they were the parents of my wife. She has a brother and a little sister who had been saved. They've grown up. They're serving the Lord faithfully uh, today. And they have children that are now saved and, and, and seeking to serve the Lord with their life. I'm going to tell you, one seed that was planted can change generations. One seed that is planted can change families. I, I, I wouldn't be in this place in my life today if it wasn't for people knocking on the door. Two different families. The seed of the word of God can bring a radical change to ground that was dead and barren with no hope. The last thing we look at in the story is the soil. We've covered the first two things, the sower and the seed. It's important for us to know that, but this passage isn't primarily about either one of those things. This passage is not about the sower. 
It's not about the method in which he cast out the seed, if he side-armed it or over, overhand or if he just poured it out from the basket. We, we don't, that's, it's not about that. This passage about the soil. The first soil that's described to us there in verse 5 is the hard soil. It says, the sower went out to sow his seed and he sowed. Some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down. The wayside were the narrow paths there in, the, in those times that would run beside or, or through certain fields. And it was where people would walk. The roads of the day and the, the soil beneath them had become so hard it was just like concrete. And from the feet of travelers and animals that, that walked along it. And when the seed would fall on the wayside, if it would fall on that hard path, it would, just, it would not penetrate a single bit. It would just die there. And really like a lot of our dirt here. Remain in the open only to be devoured by the birds. Jesus gives us that illustration and then tells us that this speaks of a person who's got a hard heart, hard soil. Could be a person that hears the gospel but it never resonates with them. It doesn't click with them. There's too much baggage or too, too many scars or different things. A hard heart that's in the way of them ever accepting any of it. It never settles. It could be someone that's in sin and refuses to believe or someone that's calloused or cold toward the things of God or their, their heart's been hardened to years because of something somebody in their life did and they're unable to receive the truth of the gospel. They are hard-hearted in that the seed cannot penetrate that heart. Many people with, like this will hear the gospel and dismiss it as foolishness. You know, a preacher once said, many men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. If I believe what you're telling me about Jesus, then I have to believe everything else about Jesus and what he says. If I accept that this is true about salvation, then I have to accept everything else is true. I remember as a young man there with my, my dad as he was witnessing to people that were deep into Catholicism. And I remember sitting there beside him watching him witness to somebody who understood they were a sinner and understood they needed to be saved. But they said, if I get saved, if I accept Jesus right now, that means everybody I've ever loved in my life that's Catholic is, is dead and in hell. They didn't want to believe. You know, a hard heart can keep a hard hard heart can keep the seed from ever making a difference. I know this is primarily about those that need the gospel, but what about the Christian? Is there anyone in here this morning that's ever had a heart that was hardened toward the things of God or towards church or towards the preaching of the Word of God? I've been there. Someone once said, if you live in a graveyard too long. You stop crying when someone dies. Continued life and sin will deaden us to the things of God. Continually being influenced by the world and, and listening to the philosophies of the world will, will deaden us to the things of God. It will bring us to a place as we can sit in church and receive nothing. And we understand if, if our heart is hard, it says there in verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, then... Cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts. 
Just as a seed that would be thrown on the sidewalk, eventually a bird or some other animal may come and eat it, may take it away. If, if, if we have a heart that is hardened where the seed cannot settle, the devil will come and distract us or deter us away from those things and remove that seed. That's the hard heart. That's the hard soil. The next one is the rocky soil. Verse 6, it says, And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Verse 13 says, They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. The stony ground was something that was very common in the Middle East. They would have limestone rock covered with just a thin layer of topsoil, and it looks good on the outside. And the seed can, can stay there and, and germinate for a moment, and, but, but eventually that root grows. There's nowhere for it to go, and it will spring up and wither away. Because there's no depth. The sun will beat down on it and it will die without ever producing any fruit or ever truly growing. I believe this can make reference to the heart that makes an emotional response to the gospel. Someone that maybe says, you know, I've tried everything else. This, this might work and they might give Jesus a try. A person that knows nothing about turning away from the old life or, or, or nothing about truly what the gospel could do for them or whatever happened. They, they made a profession, they're excited, they're active, but they never really accepted Jesus. There's no depth to, to the profession. And then they have problems with simple matters like what the Bible tells us about prayer or reading the Bible or, or church attendance and they have a difficult time making lasting, uh, lasting break with their, with their sin and the old life become offended, make a profession, running well for a time, and then wind up right back in the world. Because the seed never had opportunity to truly take. And if it didn't have, have the soil ready to, be, to take, it will, will not last. Then we have the thorny soil. It says, some fell, verse 7, among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Verse 14, and they which fell among thorns are they, which when they heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. That thorny soil looks ready as well, doesn't it? But underneath the surface are all these other living roots that will choke out the, the, the good seed and the good plant that is trying to grow. And if a seed falls there, it will spring to life quickly and give indication, hey, a harvest will come from this, but it chokes it out. And it dies without ever producing fruit as well. Now, Jesus tells us this is the person who tries to have the benefit of the gospel while still clinging on to the old life. And the, the gospel cannot survive or produce fruit in a heart filled with the things of this world or, or, or other distractions that may come. The seed will, will, will have the ground or sin will have the ground. We cannot have both. This is someone not willing to pay the price of discipleship. Now, there's, there's people who try to serve God and, and man, what did Jesus say? We cannot serve God and man. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus was, was speaking, and this rich young ruler came to him and, and said, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom? And Jesus said, give up all your money. Those things that rule your life, give it all away. 
And he wasn't willing to do that, was he? He wanted the kingdom and he wanted what he wanted. You know, we, we look at these different types of soil and we believe anyone, I want to tell you this morning, I don't want to, to confuse you on where we stand as a church. Anyone that puts their faith and trust in Jesus for salvation is saved. That's true salvation, not by works, not by anything we could ever do, but by grace through faith, okay? The seed can bring change, but the soil has to be ready to receive it. I mean, look here in verse 8, and Jesus described the good soil. It says, another fell on good ground and sprang up and hear and bear fruit and hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And we see it also described in verse 15. But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So we've seen the hard soil, the, the stony soil, the thorny soil, but we come to finally some good ground that is here. It's been worked and prepared, it's been plowed and tilled, it's ready to receive the seed. And as the seed was cast, it, it grew and it began to produce fruit and brought gain to the farmer. You know, Jesus says the, there in verse 14, he says, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit. Meaning that the, the seed that was planted we, we has been hold fast, it is secure. Jesus says, blessed are they which hear the word of God and keep it. When the word of God hits a heart, when the word of God hits good soil, it will will grow up and bear fruit that honors God. And and this is the only soil, as we look at in this whole passage, the only soil that produced fruit was the good soil. So what kind of fruit as Christians can we produce? The first fruit that comes from the Christian life is a changed life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There there is a change that will come. We desire to walk worthy in God. Are we perfect? No. Do we know everything? No. But there's a desire to grow. There's a change that has come to the heart. Another fruit of salvation is righteous living. James chapter 3 says he... the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. The third thing, the fruit of the Spirit. We understand this morning the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Genuine fruit of the Christian life. Another fruit of, of the Christian life is praise. Another fruit of the Christian life is harvest. A reproduction. A Christian will reproduce other Christians. We'll be more burdened like Jesus was. And as we're sitting here in church together this morning, for most of us, maybe all of us, the seed took root. We grew and we produced fruit for the Lord. A change came to our life. But there might be some people in here this morning that have never produced any fruit for God. I want to tell you this morning, just because someone may follow Jesus or call themselves a disciple does not make them a true follower of Jesus. Jesus had a great crowd following him. We we look there in verse 1 through 3 and uh, of, the, of the chapter and then we get to verse 4 and we see there is a, a multitude, much people were gathered together. 
from all kinds of different cities. Everybody came to hear what he had to say, but just because they followed him there doesn't make them a believer, does it? There was a great crowd following Jesus, but this parable shows that Jesus was not impressed by the crowds that followed. And as Jesus gave this parable, he knew many of those people had heard a seed had been cast, but they had never received the seed. And he gave this, to, he gave this story to encourage and the disciples to continue to spread the seed, but also for everyone to understand that they, 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 they must truly accept it. Here at the church, we preach a lot of messages, we go and we meet people, we try to invite them to church, we try to spread the gospel, but I want to tell you, and as you already know, many people that we give the gospel to don't ever get saved. Some reject it, some thank you for it, some tell you they're already saved or a child of God, but not everybody takes it. And I want to encourage you with the fact this morning that the fault does not lie with the sower or the seed. The problem is the soil. Because good soil isn't natural. The hard soil is natural, isn't it? The stony soil is natural. The thorny soil is natural. Something has to happen to the soil. A stone may have to be broken up or, or dug out or weeds may need to be removed. The hard ground may need to be broken up. There must be a ready heart for the seed. So how well this morning do you know your heart? God told us in Jeremiah chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God, God told Jeremiah in chapter 17, I the Lord search the heart, I try the reins. God knows everything there is to know know about us. Jesus knows everything there is to know this morning about your heart. The question for you is, is, is this, how well do you know your own heart? And I believe there's many of us in here this morning that, that, could, that may not exactly know where our heart is. Sometimes we don't know. But how about this, is there fruit? I've been to a lot of conferences. I grew up a pastor's son. I've been to special meetings. I've, I've been to a lot of camps. And sitting under some, of, some, some great messages, and sitting in a good church for years, I've seen some people respond and leave change, and I've seen other people leave ready to get out of there. You guys with me? Some people, you can sit at the dinner table with, with you know, 20 people and the family together, and some people say, wow, what a message. And other people will be like, I had a hard time staying awake. <laughs> well, I didn't get anything from that. Some are affected. Some feels like it was a waste of time. If the message was biblical, what was the problem? Was it the message? The seed? The problem is the soil. So what do we do? How do we fix that? What if, what if the ground is just really hard? What if the ground is full of weeds or other stones? The word of God can penetrate. The Bible tells us the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
The Word of God tells us that God's Word is a hammer that shattereth the rock in pieces. First thing we need is to be in the Word. It's not going to fix it immediately. But the first thing we need is to be in the Word. Read it for ourselves. Seek God. Be in church. Then quickly, I just got three things and we'll be done. Three things to do to have good soil. Three things for a prepared heart. The first thing, increase your faith. We look in Psalm 95, we look in the book of Hebrews, we look in the Old Testament, and we find the Israelites having hardened hearts toward God. God would do something great for them, and then later, just not too long after that, they they weren't trusting him, were they? He speaks about the day of provocation of the wilderness. You know what I'm talking about? We see many people, even in the New Testament, we see a a man we've already looked at in the book of Luke that did not believe. What did he ask? Lord, help my unbelief. I'm going to tell you this morning, if if your heart doesn't feel like it's receiving what you want it to receive or or is it prepared for the, the seeds as they are planted, Ask God to increase your faith. Ask God to help you trust him. First thing, increase your faith. Second thing, remove hindrances. Remove the stones. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, what? The Lord will not hear me. In the book of James chapter 1, we have a a, a reference that tells us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. But you know what he says before that? He he says, remove filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness so we then can receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. Some things are sinful, they need to be removed. Other things are distractions. Good things, not bad things that became bad things because they keep us from receiving. Remove the hindrances. And then the last thing, be stirred. Till it up. David, after his sin with Bathsheba, prayed a prayer that I pray often in my life. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I'm thankful for that illustration of David, and it's something I've prayed so many times in my life. I want to tell you, God can stir hard ground. In Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, it says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. This is a wicked pagan king that wanted nothing good for the Israelites. But you know what God did? God stirred the heart of that king to allow, allow the people to leave in stages of, in, from Israel. No reason but God. Have you, have you ever had, God, have you, has your heart ever been stirred by the Lord? Possibly by a song, by a verse of scripture, by a message. You know, throughout scripture we see God stirring the hearts of the people, provoking them to do something for him. Some of us this morning may just need a good stirring. You know, the Israelites had cycles in their life. Cycles of obedience, cycles of faith, cycles of unbelief. And God, as he spoke to the Israelites in the book of Ezekiel, he said, a new heart also 
will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. He goes, if you turn to me, if you come to me, if you look to me, I can take that stony heart and give you a soft heart. God can prepare the soil for the seed. God can help the Christian that is having a hard time receiving the seed. Are we willing to do what's necessary to have good ground so the word of God can bring radical change and produce fruit for his glory that will make an impact on generations? Is our ground ready? Every head bowed, every eye closed.